Remember when your grandma watched the member drive on PBS and joined so she could get that sweet Peter, Paul, and Mary concert on VHS? Now you can do the same thing with the Pop Culture Preservation Society. Each of our episodes is created with the help of listeners like you. And you can become a financial supporter of the PCPS over on Patreon.com to help us pay the bills and keep doing what we love. To show our appreciation, we'll send you welcome gifts and give you access to bonus content, like video recordings of our episodes, after-the-episode discussions, and blooper reels from the cutting room floor. Just go to Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, type Pop Culture Preservation Society into the search bubble, and choose the level of support that feels right for you. And if you're not able to contribute at this time, remember that listening is the most important form of support you could ever give. Thank you. So my favorite part of the song, and I think it's the favorite part of a lot of people, is the waz. <laughs> waz. <laughs> close, close to you. Oh, yeah, you guys were going to sing close. a lot in this episode, too. Mm-hmm. This should have been a no singing apologies. podcast. This should have been a right. podcast of singers. Hello, world. is a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who still shout, the plane, the plane, when an airplane flies overhead. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images, and if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we'll be saving our favorite Carpenter songs, and yours, and giving you some of the amazing stories behind the songs. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. Welcome back to part two of our two-part episode celebrating the Carpenters. Last week, we went deep on the Carpenters as people, as a family, and as performers. Lots and lots of dirt. And today, we will be... What is that word? <laughs> oh, I don't know what that says. I can't read my writing. Oh, and today... <laughs> that was part of it. <laughs> oh, and today, we'll be digging deep on the music of the Carpenters. <laughs> Got my shovel ready. Right. <laughs> So, are you guys ready to jump in? I I love it, yes. Oh, yeah, okay. we're a little slap happy. Yeah, we are. So, the Carpenters were signed. We're just going to literally segue from last week's episode right into this one. And the Carpenters were signed to A&M Records by Herb Alpert to the dismay of everyone around him. Because let's think about who we were listening to in 1969 when the Carpenters were signed. Excuse me while I kiss this guy. Jimi Hendrix. The Doors, Jefferson Airplane, and The Carpenters? <laughs> kind of, for some people, it was a stretch, and they did not think this was a good idea. But Herb Alpert held firm because he said, talent will always win out. It's always the right time to sign talent. And he's right. So the Carpenters hit it big when their song Close to You hit number one in March of 1970 in the midst of Jefferson Airplane and the Doors. And well, I guess Jimi Hendrix was dead already. But nonetheless, there are a lot of psychedelic people. (laughs) 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 Um, No disrespect, Jimi Hendrix. Um, 
So March of 1970, they have their first number one hit with Close to You. Just three months later, we've only just begun peaks at an impressive number two. And this was the first of five songs to peak at number two in rapid succession, including Rainy Days and Mondays, Superstar, Hurting Each Other, and Yesterday Once More. And these were all, I just think this is really interesting. These were all stopped from the number one spot by I Think I Love You by the Partridge Family and I'll be there by the Jackson Five. So mm-hmm. the teeny boppers were having their day, I think. Mm-hmm. So between 1971 and 1978, they were nominated for 16 Grammys, walking away with three wins, including Best New Artist in 1971, which we talked about last week. So I think they're really defined by a signature sound. I think everybody can agree upon that. And it was defined by both Richard's sophisticated arrangements and Karen's very unique, very low, almost mournful voice. And people really responded to it on an emotional level. And like I said earlier, when she sang about rainy days and Mondays, people really believed her. Mm -hmm. They thought those were Karen's real feelings, and that helped them feel seen. So one of the musical tricks that they used was having Karen sing both lead and backup. Okay, so how did they do this? They do this by multi-tracking or recording <laughs> several. waving her hand like a little <laughs> oh, second sorry. <laughs> no, I No, I'm just so excited when I was reading about some of the stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I know sure. just what he was doing. Mm-hmm. I know how they got her to sing backup. That's right, and- because you could do it. Oh yeah, my God, right. we could do a yes, song, guys. Carolyn, okay, so we we'll could do a song how this and works, we could see because lead then, vocals and backups. Because Carolyn is going to be our arranger and our producer. Right. So Duh. this is yeah. how multi-tracking works. So Karen would rec- would record a vocal track, a lead vocal track. Then she would record another track that was in harmony with her lead vocal track. And then Richard would layer them on top of each other. So it sounds like si- Karen is singing with a backup singer, but it's actually Karen singing mm-hmm. with herself. To the delight of all of us. <laughs> And this Some other part stars of their, do that now. Yeah. They mm-hmm. still do. I know Kelly Clarkson does that now. Yeah. It makes for a real um, depth of sound. So um, Richard really seemed to have an instinct for how to orchestrate around her voice, which was really the most important instrument that they had, her voice. And he also seemed to have an instinct for how to elicit feelings with his arrangements. It's one of his gifts. And it's my opinion that this is one of the reasons that they get disparaged sometimes, that they get this cheeseball reputation, because people tend to look down on songs or stories or movies that are overly steeped in feelings, as if it's a cynical ploy to manipulate the masses. But I'm sorry, isn't this one of the purposes of art, to help mm-hmm. us express ourselves? Mm-hmm. And there are times when I need those songs to move me to those places. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think I said that last week, too, um, when I was um, sharing that quote from John Bettis talking about how her voice is like kind of what he was saying, to paraphrase, was is the calm for our storm, you know? Yeah. And I Mm -hmm. think we need that a lot. Um, But it's not just to bring us down. For me personally, her voice brings me up. You know, Mm -hmm. even if she's singing about rainy days and Mondays, I just feel... I just feel better when I hear her voice. I love how you said her voice, um, Kristen, real quick. I love how you said her voice was their most important instrument. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. It's what made them them. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering this just the other day because I've been listening to, obviously, 
around the clock carpenters music. And I've also been listening to some meditation music. And I, when wondering, this is kind of meta, I guess, Mm -hmm. if that's how I use that word, um, something about the vibration that her voice Mm -hmm. creates. It hits me in a very similar place as like when there's a sound bath, you know, and they're doing those singing bowls and there's Mm -hmm. that that note, I don't even know, or that sound. It's there, and it's specific. They're like, an F will make you feel this, and a D will make you feel this. Yes. And so she, it's like the way my body reacts to that vibration mm-hmm. in my ears that's going through my whole body and touching oh, places that's that. interesting. Yeah. It's like yeah. visceral. It's like a- It is visceral. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and what's interesting about it is that I don't really know that I've come across anybody who doesn't agree with that. We'll talk about social media in a minute, our social media, our society members, but man, overwhelmingly, <laughs> they feel it well, too. Everybody it's does. It's true. I agree with you. I have yet to come across somebody who doesn't agree with me. I will on occasion run across, some, I just did the other day actually run across somebody who I was speaking about, as I did last week, about my parents being musicians and how the Carpenters were one of the popular acts that passed their litmus test of quality. And this person was like, sorry, Powell, I'm calling you out. And this person was like, and the Carpenters is what they chose as quality? And I had to do a little neck wag for a minute and say, <laughs> yeah. okay, let's differentiate between what quality really is. We can take melodrama. You can talk about the emotion. You can talk about the cheese ball lyrics. But you cannot take away from the quality of the arrangement, the orchestration, and that woman's voice. You cannot. You mm-hmm. can't argue that. And she did. She was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. So I think people do get caught up in their what they think quality is. And then sometimes we just have to straighten them out. So let's talk about those feelings. So um, we have um, put together a list. We've curated a Carpenter's List, if you will, of the songs that we think are um, kind of the top hits. Um, We totally, totally know that there are many of you that will say, but what about, but what about, and we get it because (laughs) I don't know that there's one song that I don't think that I've, that I've ever heard that I'm like, meh, it's all right. And we've each chosen a few that are our very favorites to tell you a little behind the music. And let's just say, you know, the, the this is a very personal list because we each chose songs to bring to the table. We chose the ones we wanted to talk about. We didn't divvy them up like you take this number one hit and Mm-mm. you take this number one hit. We're raising our hands going, I need to talk about this mm-hmm. one. No, I need to talk about this one. And so it is, you know, the hits according to us. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I need I need to add on something to our conversation that we just had when we talk about her voice being the most important is, instrument. Let's take anybody else's voice, Barbara Streisand. Let's let's take Barbara Streisand and have her sing close to you. It's not the same. No, it's not the no, same song. I, people are going to be um, you know throwing things at their devices, but my mother included. If she's listening, I love like, you, Barbara Streisand. Not, oh, yeah, I well, love you. It's about the marriage of these two things. It's not that her voice is better than I'm not arguing whose voice is better. I'm saying these songs are made for Karen Carpenter. And these are Carpenter songs for a reason. You can't put anybody else's voice in there. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. That's the point. It doesn't work. It's not that Barbara Streisand is bad. Oh, God, who would say that? Okay, so let's talk about Close to You. do birds suddenly appear every time you 
Close to You was their very first number one hit. It shot to number one in just six weeks, and it became Billboard's Song of the Summer in 1970. Um, I think we mentioned this before. It was written by Burt Bacharach, and it was first recorded, as Carolyn told us last time, by Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> yes, from the Thornbirds, <laughs> because apparently he was some kind of teen idol in the early 60s. Who knew? Um, and I looked for this song, you guys. I could not find it. I could not find it. Then it was recorded by Dionne Warwick. Then it was recorded by Dusty Springfield. But nothing. The song goes nowhere. So then Burt Bacharach comes to Herb Alpert with the record. He's like, here, Herb Alpert, you sing this song. But Herb Alpert was put off by the lyrics. Um, he did not care for, so they sprinkled moon dust in your hair of gold and stardust in your eyes of blue. He was like, Arr. But he thought maybe Richard Carpenter could do something with this. So he brings it to Richard to see if he could do something. Well, hello, number one. There's so much sophistication in this song. Richard Carpenter was able to turn this into a Carpenter's song. It belongs to nobody else. This is a Carpenter's song. And it was like what he did with it was like nothing else that had ever been done before. So much so that people were crashing the studio while they were recording. Like, you know, the red light is blinking, like, don't come in here, recording session. <laughs> And they would open their doors and stick their heads in because they knew that history was being made and they wanted to witness it. So when the song opens, you hear what Richard calls the slow shuffle. It goes do, 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 do. It's this light-handed piano tinkling that's so delicate and expectant. You're just waiting for what comes next, which is Karen's voice asking, why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near. And that's like the minute she opens her mouth, we're just wrapped with attention. Mm -hmm. So part of what makes this song so addictive is how Karen phrased her words, famously saying, close to you, instead of close to you. Every I listened to the other oh, yeah. versions and people would go, Close to you. And she says, close to you. It's now that you know it, you can't unhear it. And Richard says that she did this because she was a drummer. She did everything rhythmically. She was a singer who interpreted songs through the lens of a drummer. And it makes this line land. Just like me, they love to be. So my favorite part of the song, and I think it's the favorite part of a lot of people, is the waz. <laughs> waz. <laughs> close to you. Oh, and you guys, we're going to sing close. a lot in this episode, too. Mm -hmm. This we should have been a no singing apologies. podcast. This should have been a right. podcast of singers. So he uses those multi-layered vocals that I spoke about, where they sing harmony with each other, and this would be their signature. This song, Close to You, Close to You is all over pop culture, including The Simpsons, in which it is revealed that it is um, that Homer and Marge had Close to You as their first song that they danced to at their wedding. And in the movie Parenthood, when Rick Moranis famously serenades his wife in That's the classroom in front of her students yes. in an effort to win her back. You gotta oh, Google so it. It's so charming, it's especially so the Waz. When he does the Waz. <laughs> Uh, close to you. Nathan, you're crazy. Uh, 
Yes. So <laughs> that's so, so memorable that yeah. I love that movie so much for many different reasons, but that's one of my favorite parts of it's it. It's probably, for me, it's the highlight of the mm-hmm. movie for obvious reasons. This is a crying song for a lot of people. It's definitely a crying song for me because when Liam was a baby, we had a lullaby CD from Martha Stewart. Why did Martha Stewart have a lullaby CD? I don't know. I don't know. But there was a cover of Close to You by the Bare Naked Ladies. And this was a worthy tribute. They did not reinterpret this song. They honored all of the things that make this song great. The slow shuffle, the layered vocals, the syncopated rhythms, the waz. They did the waz. And I would rock Liam in the middle of the night, all postpartum-y and hormonal, and I would ball my eyes out holding my newborn baby especially when they sang oh god no here's where i'm gonna cry oh no (laughs) it's the laugh cry i'm doing the laugh cry when they sing on the day that you were born the angels got got together together and decided to create create a dream dream come true true. sing it with me so So they sprinkled moon dust dust in your hair transition right now because this song (laughs) makes me cry too because of those same lyrics Um, yeah and i'll probably cry a little bit now when i'm talking about it but you think about it i was six years old when this song came out and probably listening in the car and i'm a very visual when i hear songs or read books like i'm painting the picture in my head and um they talk about when the angels Create this dream come true, and they sprinkled moon dust in your hair of gold and starlight in your eyes of blue. And the only person I knew with blue eyes at that point in my life was my dad. And my mom had green eyes. My sister had green eyes. I did. Um, And so I pictured, and then it was talking about, and that's why all the girls in town. So I picture my dad as like this teenager with angels around him and these blue eyes and these girls just following him and just thinking how lucky I was that I had this dad that the angels visited and put the stardust and stuff in his eyes. And so every time I hear that song and especially that line, because those were the only blue eyes that I knew. And I guess, Oh my God, Carolyn. (laughs) I think this is a misheard lyric for me then, because I've always sang it like this. You guys have just sang it different than I've always sang it. I've always said, so they sprinkled moon dust in your hair and golden starlight in your eyes of blue. Is it so they sprinkle moon dust in your hair of gold of and starlight? Mm-hmm. But but of gold comes way after that pause. It's hard. Even it's though hard. it's part yeah. of that, that mm-hmm. phrase. In your hair of gold and stardust but in they your pause. Eyes. It's because of gold is in the wrong phrase. Yeah. It's in yeah. the next right. phrase. Yeah. Right. So there it doesn't feel natural. There's well, my misheard lyric. I had sung yeah. it that way too, Michelle, until I printed actually out the lyrics so I could have them right in front mm. of me when I was talking to you. So I was singing from my printed out lyrics and I almost like hesitated there. I thought, oh, is that a typo? But I kept just singing. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess, one of those, again, with like rhythm and where it made yeah, to so hear funny. the notes. So the colos and the your hair of gold. And he claims, Richard claims that this line in particular was a real killer to sing. And she is one of the only people that he ever heard sing it in one in breath. one breath. I heard that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So following closely on the tales of oh. Close to You. <laughs> I try. Closely? Closely. Uh, is We've Only Just Begun. We've only just begun to live. 
talked about a lot about that last week, but um, this one has a release date of um, 8-21-70. And like Kristen said, it only made it to number two on the Billboard Hot 100 chart on um, October 31st. It spent 17 weeks total on the chart. But this origin story is really cute. Um, in early 1970, Beach Boys lyricist Tony Asher wrote a jingle for the Crocker Bank of California. Um, but he had to hand it over to Roger Nichols and Paul Williams. Yes, bespeckled, love boat, cousin Oliver, <laughs> Paul Williams. Um, after Grown up cousin he, Oliver. <laughs> after he broke his arm in a skiing accident, Tony Asher, Beach Boys lyricist, broke his arm. He has to hand it over to um, Nichols and Williams. Uh, they had a budget of only $300. And they wrote the one-minute jingle for the bank that included the opening line, we've only just begun to live, white lace and promises. A kiss for luck and we're on our way. We've only uh, after the commercials aired, Crocker Bank wanted to give copies of the song to their employees, so they asked Williams and Nichols to make it a complete song. Um, meanwhile, Richard sees the commercial for the Crocker Bank late one night, and, you know, it's a montage of the beautiful beginning moments of a young couple's life underscored by the ballad, We've Only Just Begun. And he immediately recognizes the singer as Paul Williams, and he asked him if it was a whole song. And it was, um, like I've just said. And so Paul Williams let Richard listen to it, and he immediately knew it needed a different arrangement because that's his superpower. Mm -hmm. Um and he smoothed out the transition to the bridge. He um, fixed the third verse, and voila, the wedding song of an entire generation was That's born. That's right. All the people who are 75 mm -hmm. had this <laughs> song at their wedding. Well, it's so beautiful. It's so. And Maggie it, might have it at hers. If, <laughs> Maggie, if she we, ever we've gets married. married. We've, we've right. married you off, and we've chosen <laughs> yes. also not to be Agnes like, but we've chosen your first dance song. Right. Oh gosh. <laughs> Meanwhile, at Maggie's wedding, um, if we're invited to Maggie's wedding, um, this song will be out. Maggie won't even be dancing, and the three of us will be bawling. <laughs> right. And I'm going to have to tell her, like, well, who's paying for it? I get to pick some of this music and stuff. That's right. So I should ask my dad how many times he sang this song at a wedding. I yeah. wonder if it could be the record. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so I chose Rainy Days and Mondays as one of my most memorable. Talking to myself and feeling old Sometimes I'd like to quit Nothing ever seems to fit Hanging around Nothing to do but frown Rainy Days and Mondays always get me down It debuted on April 23rd, 1971, and it had instrumental backing from an L.A. session musician group called The Wrecking Crew, which I want to know if any of those guys were Yacht Rocky people. You know, I, now no, every time I hear weren't. session mm -hmm. bands, oh, you know about The Wrecking Crew? Oh, yeah, there was a, there's a documentary called The Wrecking Crew. It's really good, you guys. Glenn Campbell was in The Wrecking Crew. Oh, wow. Yeah, and these I people are, I know, they're, they're world famous without you knowing their names, except for Hal Blaine. You'll know Hal Blaine. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Wow. Okay. Because well, he they... took the place of Karen Carpenter in a lot of their songs. Oh, on the drums. Yes. Yes. But I digress. That's how I know that. No, yeah. that's. But look up the Wrecking Crew to watch the documentary. It's really okay. good. That's great. Um, 
Good fact. Thanks. Good to know. Um, again, a, another one of their songs that only went to number two on the Hot 100 chart, Carol King kept it from number one with her song, Feel the Earth Move. Is that right? Under I my feel feet, the earth. I feel the down. Okay, so <laughs> it was, however, the number one song on the adult contemporary singles chart. This song was also composed by two men we just heard about and we've only just begun, composers Roger Nichols and Paul Williams, and it was released as the first track on the album Carpenters, popularly known, as we've referred to before, the Tan Album. Or the Envelope Album in my house. (laughs) Yes. Here's something interesting to think about, okay, everybody? We all have our ideas about what this song might mean. Um, Depression. um, It hits all of us differently. And I think that is one of the foundations of a really good song. You can hear it Mm -hmm. at a different point in your life with different emotions, and it still rings true for you. Mm -hmm. And I was reading through a thread of people. There are all these threads, like forums of people that are Carpenters fans who just get together and talk and um, communicate about different Carpenters um, topics. But someone brought up what they think um, the song is about. and. I'm going to read you a lyric from the song, and then I'm going to tell you what they thought. And it really made me think differently about the song. Um, it says, funny, but it seems I always... seems I always wind up here with you. Nice to know somebody loves me. Funny, but it seems that it's the only thing to do. Run and find the one who loves me. And they interpreted this, the you being the audience, that Karen Carpenter oh, is wow. singing to us, the people that listen. And that's where she ends up here with you. Nice to know somebody loves me. So you're the ones who love mm-hmm. me is kind of Ouch. how she is feeling. And you go back and listen to the song with that as the lens even like the rainy days and Mondays parts, like I'm thinking, oh, their concerts are probably on the weekends. They have these, she has these high weekends of crowds and applause and getting to sing and do this thing she loves. And then comes the Monday. Oh. And it's like that, you know, after effect. It's like the day after your wedding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, wow, that was a whole different way to look at it. And again, because to me, a really good song lives and breathes, that could have been how she was singing it sometimes. That's what she was visualizing. Um, it could have been something else on another day. Nonetheless, those notes, her voice, the way it's arranged, it will always give you that feeling of kind of melancholy yeah. and sadness. Yeah. When you need it sometimes. It's not like you walk mm-hmm. into that song in a good right. mood and leave in a bad mood. No, it's no. It's that I'm feeling low and this song is helping me process that. Yeah. And someone else is feeling it too. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. good art. They know. Like you said, yeah. Kristen, earlier, you feel seen. Yeah. You, right. It, she feels exactly, what I feel. Exactly. And you almost feel, because I think we've said this, I don't know if we've said this before, but they're also singable, right? Like these are the greatest sing-alongs ever. And something about that one in particular, it's like how I've said it, it's her voice is a comfort for me. But mm-hmm. when you're singing it along with her, you almost feel like you have a partner in whatever you're going through. I know this sounds really oh, out wow. there, you guys, but I love that you guys are nodding your heads again because <laughs> you guys are like, yeah, yeah. totally get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you almost leave feeling a little bit like, all right, like I'm not alone in this or whatever. I don't know. It just seems like 
Maybe that's because I'm always like, Karen, let's duet. Yeah, right. <laughs> I need She's a duet karaoke with Karen partner. right now. Yeah. No, but that is the skill. That's the skill of the vocalist that she makes you believe that she is thinking the things that she's singing. For sure. When you, mm-hmm. it, it's almost a form of acting um, in, in the most, um, in the highest sense. She's yeah, embodying right. the words and the music in a way that makes us think that she's actually feeling it. Mm-hmm. And, and that helps us. Oh, yeah. That's magical to me. That's I agree. what they can create that I can honestly say. I mean, there are songs, you know, the Barry Manilow ones and stuff. Mm-hmm. But this is a whole different level to me. This right. just of emotion. touches me in a spot. Yeah. It makes me feel something without having to explain a bunch of words and go through it. I can just be there. It begs the question, should the carpenters be used as a form of therapy? Right. When you're having a a day, when you just need to get it out of your system and, you know, maybe it is a rainy day and a Monday. That's what you're feeling like. And this could be this could help you get out of your slump. You process it and then you move um, on. There should be some sort of study done about that. Like, because I agree, because like I said, I listen to them almost every day. I start my day almost every day with the carpenters. I come into my office to start working. I light a candle. I have my cup of coffee and I put a carpenter's record on my record player. And I'm telling you. It's just, it's a way to start my day. It is a positive way for me. It feels Mm -hmm. good. It fills me up. And so there could be some sort of study done. If someone's in a really bad mood, stick them in a room, Mm -hmm. (laughs) play Mm -hmm. the carpenters for them for an hour and see see how they emerge. I would like to see that. Yeah, I would too. So um, if you listen to the podcast for the record, the 70s, you may have heard an episode called A 70s Pop Manifesto. And this is where I get my information about our next song, which is... Superstar. So we'll put, um, Amy Lively is the is the host of that podcast. Um, we'll put her episode in our next newsletter. She covers in this episode the Carpenters, Cher, Barry Manilow, sort of explaining to us all what the value of these of these people were and um, and what role it played in our lives. So this comes from For the Record, the seventies. Um, it was first written and performed by a nineteen sixties duo called Delaney and Bonnie, and the song was called Groupie. That was the name of the song parentheses superstar because of course it is about a groupie then rita coolidge sang it on the road for a while richard carpenter heard the song for the first time when bet midler performed it on the tonight show and he knew it could be a hit for the carpenters so he grabbed it he reworked it to sound like them including changing a line in, in the second verse to better fit their image so the carpenters version of the lyric is and i can hardly wait to be with you again and the way it was supposed to be sung was, and I can hardly wait to sleep with you again. Well, that wouldn't do for the Carpenters. <laughs> We're just going to be together. And then listen to this, you guys. I can't believe this is true, but I saw it all over the place. And it, people phrased it in different ways so that I was interpreting it like, please, is this real? Can this be true? Karen had never performed the song before recording it in the studio, and she literally read the lyrics off of a napkin as she sang them. I mean, I've not heard that, but I believe it. Just because of how many she's also she was such a perfectionist, I've read. Like she was, but she 
often got things in one take. She, that means she's interpreting on the fly. As the music is coming out of her voice, she's yeah. able to interpret those songs. You guys, that is like prodigy stuff. Seriously. So um, Karen said about the song Superstar that she had not had that experience of being a groupie, but she knew groupies, and she knew how lonely they were. And when we get to the chorus, you can hear that lonely. The chorus being, don't you remember you told me you loved me, baby. baby. So when you get to that chorus, we hear that loneliness, that mournful desperation, and it just punches you in the gut. And for me, that gut punch moment is... You're not really here. It's just the radio. That's the line. And I remember picking up on that lyric and understanding for the first time what this song was about. Oh, I get it. She's not with him. She's left at home. She only has access to him. He's in a band and she only has access to him by listening to him on the radio. And that crescendo on the word radio, she says, you're not really here. It's It's just just the the radio. radio. And it starts crescendoing. her desperation growing and to me it's like the equivalent of we've traced the call ma'am and it's coming from inside the house (laughs) she's like she sings it you're like you're not really here it's just the radio (laughs) and i just die i just die it's the most dramatic song i think ever created well except could it be magic but wait not could it be magic it's a barry manilow song that also moves me to tears could it be magic yeah, is not the, the one you love. No, Could you love. Um, no. What's the musical orgasm song? Yeah, I know that you love. Um, <sighs> the one with know. Chopin. It starts with Chopin. Mm-hmm. It's a total brain fart. I can't believe there are three of us in the room and we can't come up with it. But you all know what we so mean. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So come, there are all coming to my life. Yes. Right. Of all of it. What's the title? It, there's a C. <laughs> <laughs> this is so bad. We're supposed okay. to be the experts. Sorry. We do know the answer. I assure <laughs> you do. all we it's know the answer. There. We just can't bring it up right now. So there are some pop culture moments for Superstar as well. The most famous being in the movie Juno. You remember Juno? Um, when Jason Bateman plays a cover of this song by Sonic Youth for the teen mom-to-be Juno. But the funniest is from Tommy Boy. God, you guys, I love this scene. It is the epitome of modern culture's relationship with the Carpenters. The cheese ball, the looking down your nose, the denial of your love for the Carpenters, the feelings. So in the movie Tommy Boy, Chris Farley and David Spade are trying to find a good radio station on their cross-country road trip when they land on the Carpenters. And they're both like, oh, I mean, if you want to. I mean, we can. if you want, you can leave it. You can leave. I mean, I don't mind if you leave it. That's all right. Then you flash forward a couple of minutes and they are crying their eyes out, <laughs> belting out, Don't you remember you told me you love me, baby? Long ago, Talk about lame. <laughs> totally. You can change it if you want. I don't care. It's up to you. I can live with it if you can. Suit yourself.
my and gosh. they're just screaming it, and then they hit a moose. It's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> oh, that is. And I just had kind of a mind blow experience as you were ex- explaining the origins of the song, because for me, I didn't realize that this person was real that she was singing to. Uh, the way I embodied it was that this was Sean Cassidy or David Cassidy or somebody that I oh. loved. And they've told me they loved me because the songs that they've been singing to me. And so I have this longing to be with them and I'm never going to be with them because they're only on the radio. And I've always thought it was about being in love with like a superstar person, but yep. not because you Hence were actually ever with mm-hmm. them. And probably because of that one line change. If it had said sleep with, you know, sleep with you. Oh, again, right. I, that would have put a whole different spin on it for me. But it was just like, be with you. And you can be with the person, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, on a listening Well, and they them, did so. that really pointed. He did that really pointedly so that it could be released and it mm-hmm. would get right. released. The other, mm-hmm. all the other people's, it wasn't, it was pretty limited. A lot of play, people wouldn't play it back in the late 60s and early 70s. <sighs> And it makes a big difference to your interpretation of it, Carolyn, when you hear that the song was actually called Groupie. Groupie, yeah. Which exactly. is a horrible title for a song. Well, yeah. It's horrible. Which is maybe another reason it wasn't super successful. But yeah, that just totally um, made me think of it differently. And obviously, mm-hmm. we come to songs with what we know. And, uh, you know, when I That's came to that song, I didn't know about groupies anyway. So it was about. This- and you knew about Loving mm-hmm. Sean Cassidy. Yeah. Yeah. I knew about these people I love from the radio. So um, On the radio. It's her more interesting. Uh, okay, I'm that. going to take us to 1973. Um, to, I believe, Carolyn's birthday, September oh. 17th, 1973, when probably, isn't that your birthday, Carolyn? It Not is. 73, but, but September yeah, 17th. I um, but um, probably one of the most well-loved Carpenter song, one of the beboppiest songs, one of the best sing-along songs there ever was made and that's top of the world i'm on top of the world looking down on creation and the only explanation i can find is the love that i found ever since you've been around your love's put me at the top of the world do we all love that song Yes, we do. You guys. We sing it in choir and I will grade. sing that song on a di- I will sing that song. Like, I, yeah, I love it so much. And I can't, it's one of those songs that I can never hear enough. Like, I could hear it mm-hmm. 25 times in a row and still be singing it. I used to sing it in front of my, you know, I've told you, like, I used to, I spent a lot of time by myself. And I had, <laughs> um, I would sing and perform things in front of, like, my mirror, you know, my closet mirrors. This was one of them. I mean, I, like, how I used to do all the, like, I was the backup singer for Barry Manilow. I used to also sing Top of the World a lot. Um, so this song, like I said, was released on September 17th, 1973. It did hit number one on the Hot 100 on December 1st. Um, and all in all, it was on the charts for 20 weeks. So we have a little bit of a competing story between John Bettis and Richard Carpenter of how this song came to be. So I'm going to share both of them. Um, so in mid-1972... The Carpenters were on tour. And by now, in 1972, they needed to get two Learjets to get to um, to travel between their one-nighters. And they named them Carpenters 1 and Carpenters 2. little fun fact. Um, and on one of these jet rides, Bettis, John Bettis, came up with the title Top of the World. Uh, the story is that he got on the plane, and as it took off, he thought, are we on top of the world now or what? 
you know, lots of visual symbolism going on here, John <laughs> Bettis. That's why you're such a good lyricist. Um, but he says the song never came to be anything. However, Richard in the book Carpenter's The Musical Legacy says that he came across the title and demo in the publishing department of A&M. He heard the title and he pictured the song in his head. So it was just a title, Top of the World. Um, and maybe he, maybe it was, maybe it was John Bettis is the one who put the title in. So maybe it is these, both of these stories could very well be true. Um, so the song though was pretty much created out of necessity because they needed a track to round out their fourth album. It's called A Song for You, that album. And after writing Top of the World with John Bettis, Richard says he thought, eh, eh, he gets the job done. Well, that's funny to me because Bettis says he thinks he came up with what he considered to be the best rhyme scheme <laughs> I ever executed with the Carpenters. <laughs> and it is. It's that sort of, a, I think it's like a, I mean, think about it. It's, you know, like something in the wind has learned my name, right? Mm -hmm. And it's telling me that things are not the same. same. In the leaves on the trees and the church of the breeze, there's a pleasing sense of happiness for me. Then the song took a ride to the top of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop. Um, with a, but it actually had a whole bunch of twists and turns. While the Carpenters were still underwhelmed by this song, which, my God, it's a, it's such a fun song. I don't see how it's you could ever song. go, meh, it's whatever. Mm -hmm. They were still underwhelmed by it. Reviewers loved it. And even better, the audiences went nuts when they'd play it at shows. So they were like, hmm, maybe. Let's put it out as a single. But... An A&M executive told them there would be too many, that would make too many singles from one album. So they didn't. Um, but then, dun, 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 a country <laughs> star named Lynn Anderson, and she was hot from her recent smash, Rose Garden, which Martina oh. McBride has a fantastic version of Rose Garden that I love. Um, but she put Top of the World out on her own album, and basically she cloned Richard's arrangement, and hers, her um, single went to number two on the country charts, and then it crossed over to the pop charts where it went to number 74. I mean, that's not great, but still, it's charting. It's on the chart. Right? Yeah. So Richard, of course, is beating up on himself. And at the same time, Japan's A&M affiliate releases Top of the World as a single, followed by Australia and New Zealand. They then release Top of the World as a single, where it's spent weeks at number one on the charts. Um, now, meanwhile, while this is happening... In the United States, Richard and Karen have released Sing, and they've released Yesterday Once More as singles, but people are still going crazy over top of the world and still requesting it and just going crazy when they sing it. Um, so they decide they make it a single from their upcoming hits compilation, but not before Karen re-recorded it because naturally oh. she's much a perfectionist and she yep. said, I need to re-record it. And it's gotta yeah. be better. So yeah, there you go. There is kind of the story behind that song. And I actually have a f another fun fact about how it then came back around about 20 years later, but I'm going to tell you about that when I tell you about the song that it came back around with. I have a theory about this song, about why it's so popular. Hmm. It's because this is a clap-along song. Oh, so clappable. think if you have a whole concert of these melodramatic Carpenter songs, you might need a little reprieve. Yeah. You might need a clap-along song. Well, and, and that's is, why it would be so popular in concert. And it's not just clap-along. It is happy. I mean, so happy. I'm on top mm -hmm. of the world. I mean, 
You know, it's, and it's about, it's not about lovers who leave. It's, it's about happiness and love. And I'm always sad. Like when it comes up in one of my playlists and I'm singing along and then it's over. I'm so sad. I'm like, oh, I have to play it again. You know, this is one of those happy songs that makes me cry. Do you have those where like something, (laughs) it's the happy cry that, and I don't know why I start doing, I'm on the top of the world. And by the time I get to creation, I'm like, I've been looking down. And when I don't know why. I don't know why. When you guys oh. sing it out loud, do you have? I have this conflict though because I don't know who to harmonize with. I'll, when it gets to the part, here's how I sing it: <laughs> I'm on the top, top of the world, looking <laughs> down, down on creation, and the you know I'm on the top, see, top like, of the world, just looking, like moving down, around. down on creation. Because you know how he, at the very end he does top down. Uh-huh. <laughs> you guys, I just like just stop. <laughs> I mean, first of all, like, I don't even know how to harmonize. So, like, for you saying, oh, I don't know which thing. I'm like, don't you just sing? Like, you just sing the song. No, because when you get to that part, you can't just go, I'm on the top of the – because before she goes, I'm on the – she goes, top, top of the world, looking down, down on creation. I don't I don't hear the da- – I don't know. I just – She doesn't uh, hear the down part. Yeah, she doesn't I don't hear, hear the, the melody. Part. Yeah. I don't I – don't, so we were – well, so whenever anyone says, oh – you want to sing the harmony? I was like, "What? What is that? Like, I'm just singing the song. Just sing." The Although song. I couldn't do that unless I'm singing along with Richard Carpenter. So yeah. don't beat yourself. Up. Oh, I don't we even can know sing it. it. We can rec- recreate it, and we'll go. I'm on that, and I'll go top. top. While you go top <laughs> of the world, looking, and I'll go down. <laughs> and then you, okay. while you're singing, down on creation, and the only. Well, and then you'll say what, like, what note? I can't harmonize with that. Is probably what you would say. You're the farthest uh. thing from the notes she was hitting. But I just have to. Again, laugh with some of the talent that you two share in the area of music, whether it's dance <laughs> sure it's or singing. Yeah, I that's why, that word might be a stretch. You've just heard me sing it. We just have vocabulary. That's all. <laughs> I think you can pull it off sometimes. I'm just nodding in agreement. So, you guys, one of my other favorites is hurting each other. you had asked me, I don't know, eight weeks ago, if this would have been one, I would have been like, I don't know. But I was listening to it again. That's all I've been doing for the last, since however long ago we decided that Carpenters was going to be an episode this year or this season. Um, and so I've de- I decided when I'm listening, I'm just going to go with like what I feel, what happens when a song comes on. And man, was I gobsmacked when Hurting Each Other came on. I don't exactly know why. Again, it's that it's so sad. Yeah. How come you mm-hmm. keep hurt? They hurt. I just, why? Why? I don't know. So <laughs> that song just got me in the gut. That's why I chose it. So I'm going to give you a, little, a few little facts about it. It was released as a single in late 1971. And again, it is one of those songs that Richard Carpenter heard. He heard it in 1969 in his car on the radio, driving home from school probably to the house that he shared with his mother and father and sister. (laughs) Um, And he thought to himself, well, that's a great song. That is going to be a hit. Well, this was one time where he was kind of wrong because that song fizzled out. It was performed by Ruby and the Romantics, and it didn't go anywhere. Fast forward a couple years, he's sound checking before a concert for a performance, and he um, is just playing some random chords and some chord progressions. And he plays this one, and he thinks, that reminds me of something I've heard before. 
And he's like, I think that he remembers. I think that that song was called Hurting Each Other. So he goes on from there, and that's how he created Hurting Each Other, or recreating, I guess, Hurting mm-hmm. Each Other with a new arrangement, was by this just kind of random time where he's in sound check playing with chord progressions. Um, it peaked at number one on the easy listening chart. So they were really big on the easy listening chart, but only ranked as high as number 65 on Billboard, which made me think, gosh, but I, it's, it's in me for a reason. Obviously I wasn't hearing it all the time. So must have been like listening to the albums, but oh, I know every word and I love that song. Mm-hmm. I love it too. Why and it is, it is so, there's so much despair in that oh, song. Gotta stop. Yes. It's terrible. Making it each is. other cry. cry. Carrying each other oh, apart. And not even knowing why. Like, without not even knowing why. why. But you love each other so much, but you keep hurting each other. And I can see myself with my curling iron singing into the yeah. microphone or the curling iron in my mirror. You know, stop hurting <laughs> each other. Like, I have the hand motions down. Yes. Oh. Anyway, that is... And that's a good example of a song where she could take it and make it almost unbearable. And if somebody else sang it, you'd be singing along, and you and it's a beautiful song, and you love the song, but when she sings it, you're like, why can't you stop hurting each other? Why? Right. And Richard recognized that. Like you yeah, said, it did. was a perfect song. The lyrics were good. Mm-hmm. He knew there was something there. It just took his little magic, which included her beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. So I have, this is very interesting, you guys. I have a memory. I love this memory. It's one of my favorite memories. Um, And it is of Karen Carpenter singing the song Sing on Sesame Street (laughs) with all the Muppets. Except here's the problem. That never happened. You guys, it's a false memory. Hmm. I remember Big Bird singing it on my album. Yes. But there I don't are lots the of stars who sang it on Sesame Street. There are lots yeah. of people who sang it on The Muppet Show. There, Barbara Streisand sang it. There are so many people who sang it with The Muppets, just not Karen Carpenter. <laughs> but in my mind, this is one of my favorite memories. And I can't figure That's so out. That's cute, though. Isn't that interesting how that comes to be? It just shows you that the mind is um, it's quite imaginative. Yes, Caroline. I just, gosh, remember how she's a ghost at Jim Henson's studio? Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <gasps> oh, my God. It's because she never got to sing with Kermit. Right. Okay, so in our previous episode, <laughs> Carolyn shared with us the fact that some people say they have seen the ghost of Karen Carpenter in what is now Jim Henson's studios. By her dressing room. By her dressing room. Well, because it used to be A and M Records, just so people are clear with yeah. that. That's she right. Was there was a, a connection. She there was, was a connection. Yeah. But all these people who got to sing this fabulous song with those Muppets, and she never got to sing it. And yet, Carrie Carpenter. Or did she? Maybe. She or did she? Did like, she sing it? Um, you know, in some other plane, some other realm, right. and it's been transplanted into my brain. Okay, so for all the new agey folks who are now fans of us. Um, <laughs> It was never meant to be a top 40 hit. Sing was never meant to be a top 40 hit. It was written by Joe Raposo, who wrote the music for Sesame Street. He wrote all their songs. And he wrote it as their signature song. This was going to be a song that would be repeated over and over again, sung by the Muppets and their (laughs) guests, just not Karen Carpenter because she wasn't a guest. (laughs) 
But Richard Carpenter heard the song and said, I think it's a hit. Like he did so many times, right? And it reminded him of going to see a production of The King and I with his parents. And there's this portion... in the, is it a play? It's a musical. It's a musical. It's a musical. There's a portion in the musical where Anna is teaching the kids to sing. No, that's Sound of Music. There's a portion. <laughs> Sorry. There's well, a portion in The King and I. There's a song called Getting to Know You. I did yeah, it. Okay. But she's teaching called the Getting kids. To know you. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. So she's teaching the kids to sing. It's called Getting to Know You. And one of the most charming things about this song is the children's voices. Getting to know you. It's so charming. And so part of the charm of Sing is also those children's voices, the inclusion of the children's choir. And I think this is part of why we liked it as children, because here's a song on the radio that we hear that is, these are the voice of my friends. Mm -hmm. We all knew it as the Sesame Street song. So I think that really, that could be the beginning of my false memory right there. Oh, it's the song from Sesame Street on the radio being sung by Karen Carpenter. Can I just make a distinction really quick? So, because I know some people are yelling at their um, devices. Yes. Um, She's not teaching, and the king and I, she's not teaching them to sing and getting to know you, but she's like getting to know them. Like she's their new teacher. So, yeah. For all the musical people out there, yeah. yeah. So, don't add us. Differentiate. Sound of music is teaching them to sing, and the king and I is getting to know you. Okay. So, record scratch. That was not children singing on the song Sing. Oh. When they invited the choir in, they weren't that great. (laughs) And so Richard was like, thank you very much. Okay, there's the door. He ushers them out. He has Karen sing those parts in her upper voice. No. Like a kid. Uh, No, no, I don't believe you. She does the lalas? She does. And so they take her, they take her, the track that she records, they double it. They multi, I'm doing multi-layered now. They multi-track it. I don't want to know this. I know. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's like it's like riding Space Mountain with the lights on. I don't want to yeah. know all the secrets behind this. I'm so sorry, Wait, that's I'm too sorry. much because you're I she's know. pretending like she's supposed to be a little kid's voice or something. We're supposed to think it's kids, but it's really her. Well, she just sang in a different. You know, you mm-hmm. have a different register, and she's usually singing she's way singing down her, here, and she's yeah. instead she singing like an way alto up voice. here. Yeah. Yeah, and she's singing and then, up like in her falsetto. La, yeah, la, she's la, singing la, in her Bee Gees la, voice. La, la. See, I can do it. Right. And then they multiply that track so it sounds like a choir. They have a whole bunch of Karen's tracks. And now you listen to it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is just a little too perfect. The pitch is spot on, especially those low, low notes. And even children in a professional choir, I don't know if they'd be that spot on. Like, it's so uniform. Yes, Carolyn. Sorry, She's freaking out right I now. Feel, well, yeah, I am freaking out. Although I, I am going to say that I do know that one of the um, things that they would do when they were on tour was in different towns, they would invite the children's choirs from they those did. towns to mm-hmm. come and perform. But also, now that we're talking about all this dubbing and tracks, how did some of these songs sound live? Like, I'm going to have to go back and listen because... That's a good question. They didn't, she couldn't be singing eight parts when you're seeing her live. So did they have other backup singers? Was there background music and she was just singing one of the tracks? Well, this was the era of lip syncing, so they could have put a track on. They could have had a track that she was singing to. So she'd Mm -hmm. be singing to a track of herself. 
So she's doing the singing. She's the lead vocal. She's singing along with a track that is the harmony. Maybe? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm guessing that's mm-hmm. what they would have to do. Yeah. But when they're like in these big arenas, like their largest, I think, concert was, I think, the Ohio State Fair, over 50,000 mm-hmm. people. And there's a band. So those people are live, like, mm-hmm. you know, Richard playing. So there's just maybe some tracks that are going. It could be. But- Absolutely. And she can't really like riff at all. She has to stay right with it. No, no, she can't because that's the backup song. That's the backup singing. She's still, she's, the lead vocal right. isn't being piped in. She can do whatever she wants for the lead vocal. And right, the backup, but she has to stay in the exact right, like timing. Like she, well, she can't. To, it's a song, Carolyn. You have to do that anyway. <laughs> well, I know, but you know that she can't say like in the middle, like, Ohio, we love you. Or something <laughs> as she's singing, like she has to you could, right. But what? Think you about could. it. Because with the with the backup, if there were actual backup singers there, they wouldn't stop. Yeah, oh, they would true. keep. They have to sing their parts. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they would keep going. Yeah. Okay. Um, and of course, you know the best the the thing that I'm ruining for people here is the lalas. And as mm-hmm. you know, I love any song with lalas or papas. And so I could sing la 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 la. day long. I could listen to just that on a loop and I would be happy as hell all day long. Yeah. I mm-hmm. wonder what the, why. I wonder what that is. Isn't that funny? Because I think it's all happy. of that is happy. And they do that in happy. a few of their songs where we've got, right. you know, non-words that we bop along to. Hmm. So even though um, Karen was singing back up with herself and there was no children's choir in the recording of Sing, it went to number three in 1973 and it became their seventh gold record. Wow. Mm-hmm. Good for her and them. And it makes us all think of the Muppets, and we think she sang with Kermit, and she didn't. <laughs> I always just think of Big Bird as the only one I think of, because on mm-hmm. my Sesame Street album when I was little, Big Bird sang it on mine. Yeah. And on mine, and now I'm wondering about all my memories, because <laughs> on my Sesame Street album. Kristen's just crushed everything. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but no, I, I'm remembering on my mm. Sesame Street one, that's one, the one that had like the roller skate song, like. You know about the key. I got a, my name yeah. is Michael. I got yeah, a that's nickel. That's how I learned that song. And I think the sing on that album for me does have kids singing in it. So isn't is there one that maybe Big Bird was singing, but the La Las are actually oh, sure. yeah, real it's still children? Kids. Yeah, yeah. Remember, so I think they sing the lots of people sing this song with children and Muppets. There's right. so many performances of this song on the Sesame Street. Because remember, he did it as he wrote it. Joe Raposo wrote it as their signature song. Right. So it's just when Karen okay. and the Carpenters do sing that we have the multi-tracking and the children were ushered okay. out the door. Okay. Well, in yeah. my mind, the children are singing. She's got the main <laughs> vocal. And I've just merged two versions of the song. Yeah. But that's why I was so shocked. Because in my head, it, it truly is children mm-hmm. singing. Oh, they Thank tried. But you know what? This could be their perfectionism, too, because it would be very difficult if you're Karen Carpenter who insists on re-recording a song that was already a hit because you want it to be better for them to listen to children and be like, yeah, that's great. (laughs) That's right. Like, nope. I wonder if they ever Ugh. told the children, or I wonder if the children have all these years thought that that was them singing oh, on God. it, and now one of them is like our age, and they're listening they're to this podcast, oh, and now age. you've mm-hmm. just crushed their dream. They probably yeah. have like their gold record me. framed on their wall. Yeah. But I, you know, I hope, maybe I'm wrong. I really hope that there is a YouTube video out there of Karen Carpenter singing with Kermit, but I 
tried, you guys. Because remember, I think this is true. And I'm like, I got to go find that video of Karen Carpenter singing with Kermit. It's nowhere. And I found everybody else singing this song. I found everybody who's ever sung the song sing (laughs) in the history of the world. And it doesn't come up with Karen Carpenter. Huh. I did Muppets. I did Kermit. I did Sesame Street. I did Puppet. I did everything. (laughs) Nothing. All right. And so I just concluded I made this up. Yeah. Well, then a lot of us did because I – did you see Michelle and I nodding in agreement? Like, Like, we have exactly that moment. I'm saying my memory of watching her sing and they're like – their hands are going up like, oh, my God, I love it so much. I'm like, nope, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Oh, well, you guys, that's because yesterday was a long time ago. Um, And sometimes I'd like to live it once more. It's yesterday once more. to me is kind of, kind of what we are all about, what this whole podcast is about. It is. I mean, when you look at the lyrics and you listen, like, it was songs of loves that I, that I would sing to then and I'd memorize each word. Those old melodies still sound so good to me as they melt the years away. Oh, my God. Right? And then oh, and happens? then here comes Kristen's sha la la Yeah, favorite part. Every shalala. Wait, Carolyn, I actually, so right now our tagline is your Gen X childhood in a podcast. Pop Culture Preservation Society, your Gen X childhood in a podcast. I also like Pop Culture Preservation Society. It's yesterday once more. It's that yesterday once more. <gasps> TM, trademark, copyright. Right. We got it. Right out, right out. Yes. Yeah, we just said it. So anyone thinking about it, don't do it. Yeah, no. Okay, I just decided too that I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, Every sha la la la, every whoa 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 whoa, whoa. and I'm going to be the only person with this T-shirt. You mm-hmm. are, but that one also mm-hmm. maybe make it onto a greeting card or <gasps> something for society sundries, mm-hmm. yes, or whatever or pop whatever. Oh my god, just, it's I yesterday want that once card. more would be good too. Mm-hmm. Every whoa whoa whoa. Richard Carpenter and John Bettis actually wrote that song, and Richard says it is his favorite song that he uh-huh. wrote. Really? When you think about all the songs they wrote, and that's his wow. favorite. Um, I did not remember this, and I should go and listen, but it said, so it's um, from their 1973 album, Now and Then, and thematically the song concerns reminiscing about songs of a generation gone by, much like we're doing right now. And then it segues into a long melody consisting of eight covers of 1960s tunes incorporated into a full faux mm-hmm. oldies pro- radio program. Mm-hmm. Which Medley. I think if I listened to it again, I would remember yes. it. But, but I you didn't Carolyn know it her, was... Carolyn with her, um, her musical vocabulary. It's medley. Not melody. What, I, what did melody? she say? You said melody. Oh yeah, medley. It's, oh, a medley. it's a medley. Yes. Yeah, I just bought yeah. that album the other day, and it's 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 um, a lot of oldies. They do like to do run run and stuff like that on it. But you know what's so funny is that it's I'm having the same experience as you, Carolyn, because when I read that about yesterday once more, I was like, wait, that's a medley. Wait, those are old songs. Like I just digested it as a song when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and now I'm realizing that. Do you know your way to San Jose? La 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 oh, yeah. la 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 la. Mm-hmm. I don't know the Dion Warwick version. I do, but that's not the one that comes to mind. Exactly. It's this little snippet. I've got lots of friends in San Jose. Whoa, 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 whoa. La, 
la 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 la. Yeah. Do you know that that only peaked at no, at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 chart? That did not go to number one. Do you know what kept it from number one? Anybody no. have any ideas? It's not. I think I love you. No, it's bad. Bad Leroy Brown. Oh, oh. come on. <laughs> Oh, that's stupid. Yeah, oh, but I then know. look, you've got the conflicting musical tastes totally there. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. That's well, that's true. But it is amazing after we've shared some of these things, how many of their songs just got to number two. Like they were so yes, close. It's like, crazy. And how what that meant to Richard, like how they were so close. Like, can we is just that get a to failure? Number one? It's like getting an A minus. Right. Mm-hmm. And do you know that that um, song, so that was their fifth number two hit, and it made them the act with the second most number two hits on the chart behind Madonna. Oh, my God. So Madonna and the Carpenters share um, having the most number two hits uh, on the top 100. Do you I remember in our, um, in our 1976 episode when – this is Amy Lively from For the Record, the 70s again, when she talked about how in the 70s we had this nostalgia for the early 60s and the late 50s. And that's what this song is doing. It's capturing this nostalgia that we didn't even know was happening. We didn't know this was a song about nostalgia. We just thought they said shooby-doo, lang-lang, and it was funny. Oh, I'm going to get a shirt with that too. Shooby-doo, lang-lang. Yeah, Shooby-doo, lang-lang. Um, but then he commented in um, in that book about the Carpenters about how this song came out at the same time that American Graffiti did. And they said this song could have been the theme song for American Graffiti because it's letting people be open about how, remember those good times? Remember how great that was? And that's sort of kicking off our whole Happy Days era. Um, okay, I'm going to um, give you my next pick, which is... Um, it would be, it's so hard for me to say there's one Carpenter song that's my favorite, but you guys, Mm -hmm. if, if at, you know, a gun to my head, this is the one I would say, um, this song to me is the most melancholy, honest, and I don't know the word, I'm going to say like weighted song. Um, and it's just my favorite, my favorite performance of hers. And that is, I need to be in love. was released on May 21st, 1976. Um, the lyrics to this song, um, she starts it out and she says, the hardest thing I've ever done is keep believing there's someone in this crazy world for me. Someone in this crazy world for me. The way that people come and go through temporary lives, my chance could come and I might never know. And I feel like the way she's singing it too, I mean, this could be autobiographical. It could not, but it's just so, I feel like it's really relatable to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, John Bettis wrote this song and he says it actually reflects the ties that bound him to Karen when it came to romance. Um, He says that this song is the best example of our singularity of soul and that he misses that a lot. This was in uh, the Carpenters, Carpenters, the musical legacy. This was a current interview. Um, I don't really know what that means. I don't know if that means there was an unrequited love um, between right, him and Karen. Little, um, like, is he hinting at something? Because then he says, so here I am with pockets full of good intentions, but none of them can comfort me tonight. 
this song is, um, I'm, when I said this is probably, I would have to say, it'd just be really hard. But if I had to, and I said, I just said it would be my favorite. I'm keeping good company though, because while this song was a disappointment commercially, this song, I Need to Be in Love, was Karen's favorite song of all the Carpenters originals. Oh, wow. Um, it's said to have one of Richard's most sophisticated compositions and arrangements. And I love how in the book, and I totally agree with this, they say Karen sings it like her life depends on it. Yeah. Um, but you guys, in 1976, pop and disco heavy radio, this song just couldn't really cut it. And it didn't really have great chart success. It did peak at number two, um, but it just didn't really have the commercial success. Um, I... I love the way she sings it. I feel like she sings it so earnestly and so honestly. And I know we can say that about all of her songs, but I'm going to put a YouTube performance in, in, in the Weekly Reader this week um, where she's singing it. I think it's 1978. She's in this kind of red gypsy outfit. When she stands up at the end, again, you're struck by how you could probably put your hands around her waist. She stands, but when she sings this song, and I love this performance because she takes some liberties with the metal, mm-hmm. with the melody and she changes the key just um, the key just a couple of times. So it's not going to sound like exactly like you're used to hearing it on your albums. Um, I don't even know what it is. It is, it's, it's like, she sings it like her life depends on it. Like Mm -hmm. they said, um, it's so beautiful. I watched it just yesterday with my eyes just full of tears, just watching Mm -hmm. it and just thinking of her life now that I know so much more. Um, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, and I have a fun fact about this song. In 1995, which is nearly 20 years after its release, a big-time Japanese TV writer and producer named Shinji Nojima asked Richard for permission to use it as the main theme for his hit miniseries, which became a pop culture phenomenon in Japan. Uh, Nojima was a huge Carpenters fan, and he also asked for another of my favorites, Top of the World, and Richard said yes. Both songs skyrocketed on the Japanese pop charts and ended up selling more than half a million records in 1995. In 1995? Wow. Good for them. I think one of the best things about this podcast and what we're doing is getting to revisit these songs and, and knowing what we know now about Richard and Karen and their lives and you l- hear the song differently now. I yeah, at least do. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing what you know, right? Um, and that's um, something I enjoy about what we yeah. do. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to share our society picks because we've had over the past year and a half, um, when we've posted different things about the Carpenters, um, we often ask, "What's your favorite Carpenter song?" And oh my gosh, goodness, the responses are swift. So um, I did some tallying. I went back through all of our Carpenters posts we've had over the past year and a half, oh, which wow. is uh, two or three. That's a big. Time. And then I tallied all the um, votes. Wow. And I don't think it's a surprise, but tying, we have ties, Kristen. <laughs> I know. It's just me. There's several. nothing you can do. Yes. Yeah, so tied for do. number one um, for our Pop Culture Preservation Society members um, with the same amount of votes is Superstar, and we've only <gasps> just begun. Oh, I feel like a winner. I don't. That doesn't mean I won anything. <laughs> I think it's a 
important to recognize and celebrate both the quality and sophistication of the carpenters and the cheese ball factor that allows us to wallow in our feelings. Thank you. Thank you, Richard Carpenter. I am not afraid of cheese ball. I am not. And neither should Richard Carpenter because cheese ball does not negate the masterful arrangements he created or the legendary voice that Karen Carpenter shared with us all. And if those masterful arrangements and that legendary voice make us do open mouth crying on our commute to work... I consider that a service. <laughs> so thank you, sir. Thank you. And thank you all for listening today. Life ahead. We'll find a place where there's room to grow. And yes, we've just begun. so much to everyone for supporting us by sharing our podcast with others. Honestly, that's the best way you can help us out if you like our conversations and our society. And thank you to those of you who take the time to rate, review, and follow us wherever you listen. Taking a minute or two to click those stars or write a nice review means the world to us and tells all the people you don't know how wonderful the PCPS is. And a special thank you to our supporters on Patreon for quite literally helping this podcast. Today, we're giving a special shout out to patrons, Shane, Stella, Diane, Christina, Anor, and Jennifer. Thank you guys so, so much. We hope you're all enjoying the fun content you're getting over on our Patreon page. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of Jack Tripper, Janet Wood, and Chrissy Snow. Two good times. Two happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. Spread a little love and it will keep moving on. Something always happens whenever we together. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song.